Two readings this morning. The first will come from Matthew chapter 11 and the second from Philippians chapter 3. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure, all things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 to 11. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Morning. It's great to be with you this morning and Happy New Year to those I have not yet met in this new year. How are we all feeling? Great, very good, very good. Uh, it is uh, my pleasure and privilege to open up the Scriptures with you this morning and share somewhat personally with you about why I believe. Now, now, why I believe the reasons for my faith in Jesus are multifaceted, and that's the kind of the joy and the complexity of, of the gospel. There is a simplicity of being saved by grace, forgiven by Jesus, uh, and yet the way that impacts our life, as Jeff has already shared, uh, are varied, as varied as there are people in the room, and as varied as our experiences. Uh, in a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to share why history and science point to Jesus, uh, and that will be personal in a different kind of way. But today I want to share with you uh, how I have found rest for my restless soul, how I found peace and satisfaction through the ups and downs of life, and I've only found this by the grace of God. 
Uh, the grace of God is a phrase that Christians love to sort of throw around. We're going to have to come back to sort of actually wrestle with what that means and what I mean by that, uh, but we'll get there. Uh, but for now, I want to open up um, uh, have the rest that I have found in Jesus. Now, for those that know me, uh, that might be a bit of a surprise to you that I would speak on rest. I'm not known for my restfulness. I'm a busy, ambitious kind of person. Uh, and yet... I'm going to be talking to you about a rest that's quite different to the kind of rest that we kind of, you know, uh, are perhaps enjoying now in the middle of January. Uh, a different kind of rest than sort of making it to that holiday. A different kind of rest than sitting on our couch doom scrolling on Facebook, as though that's rest, right? Uh, I want to show you about the rest that Jesus offers us. Now, as a way of introduction to sort of my own testimony here, uh, I, um, I began my uh, uh, kind of, you know, ambitions in life wanting to be a paleontologist. Uh, now, that was year one, I believe, and uh, I think it had something to do with Indiana Jones, although Indiana Jones had nothing to do with digging for dinosaur bones, but just that idea of kind of, you know, digging in the dirt, adventures, all kinds of stuff. There were several problems with my dream. One was I couldn't spell paleontology. Uh, two, uh, I realised that paleontology required a lot of patience. I didn't have that even at a young age, uh, and so I moved on to other things. I moved on to aeronautics. Uh, in year two, I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer. I loved planes, the way they sort of stayed up in the sky. How did that happen? Uh, and I love a challenge. And it was, uh, I think, year three that I found myself in an engineering enrichment day. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and uh, and, I, and I was, it so lit me up. It so excited me about the prospects of being able to kind of, you know, address the challenges uh, of, uh, of modern life with technology uh, that I was committed. And so for the next 10 or so years uh, in my primary and high school education, I focused in on aeronautics and I chose all my subjects and I studied really hard, worked hard, and I got there. I was the only one from my school to go to Sydney University. Uh, it was, while it was a technology high school, it was a rubbish school, by the way. I'll, I'll leave it nameless. But, um, and, because uh, I'm on YouTube, my goodness. Um, and, <laughs> anyway, so I got to Sydney University, and I thought I'd be a pretty kind of small fish in a big pond. Uh, but, you know, with that continued kind of ambitious drive, I worked really hard. I uh, graduated the top of my class and found a lucrative role in a consulting firm working for the Royal Australian Air Force. I am restless, ambitious, and I do have overachieving tendencies. But that's only part of my story, because such a disposition also lends itself to all kinds of other things. Uh, that is deep disappointment, as you pursue things with such vigour, only to find that they don't, aren't achieved, or, or a kind of a tiredness uh, that is the result of such excessive work. I'm so glad that's only part of my story and not the full story because God has transformed me and continues to transform me by His grace. I did grow up in a Christian home and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, one of the first passages of Scripture that really spoke powerfully into my life was this. Uh, I was too lazy to perhaps, or maybe I just didn't know the scriptures well enough, but when a Sunday school teacher asked me what my favourite Bible verse was, uh, I just looked at the front cover of my Bible, and it said Isaiah 40, 31. Uh, now, this isn't actually my Bible, it's my wife's Bible that I just took a photo of this morning, uh, but we had the same cloth cover because it was like, you know, it's like as cool as like uh, iPhone case covers are now, uh, with the kind of the, the, the cloth Bible covers uh, for Sunday school students. Uh, but anyway, so I opened up to Isaiah 40:31, and I tell you, God has a funny sense of humor. He blew me away with what that verse said. 
It said, but for those who hope in the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now, initially, it spoke to me as kind of like, here is unending energy. Woo! Uh, But it spoke to me more deeply than that, because here was a picture for those who were weary, and I knew I was weary, and for those that were running at speed, here was a picture of a God who entered into creation to offer rest and comfort, who would care for the weak. Here is a God who created all things just prior to that verse in that chapter. Did you not know? It says, the Lord created all things, but he also cares for the weak and the weary, the messy and the broken, and he lifts them up that they might soar on wings like eagles. And for as much as I was captivated by uh, planes in the sky, this picture of soaring like eagles was absolutely riveting. I was captured. Who is this God? Well, this God was fully revealed in Jesus Christ. And he gives us the words from our main reading this morning, from Matthew 11. He promises the weary and the burdened, I will give you rest. As I said, we're kind of in a season of rest at the moment. January is slowly kind of moving along. Perhaps we've been able to kind of hold back the busyness of the year just for another kind of couple of days, weeks, maybe. Some of us are going back to work. I won't say it tomorrow. Um, I I had to work Christmas Day, would you believe? Anyway, uh, the years are certainly going faster and faster. And with all our productivity and multitasking, the expectations of life just keep lifting and lifting. And, And January can so often feel like the eye of the hurricane. And the whole rest of the year is just a blur. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I will give you rest? Is he a travel agent offering a holiday? Is he a yoga instructor offering some meditation techniques? No. Let's get this passage on the screen and let's look into it together to see if we can unpack the profound rest that Jesus offers. Now, the first thing I want us to know here as we look at this passage together, uh, hopefully that's that's big enough for you to be able to see, uh, is when Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Here is the creator of all things, uh, as Jesus addresses God, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. So we have the greatness of God somehow mysteriously revealed and even hidden, uh, but he reveals them to infants. Why infants? Surely the greatness of God deserves to be revealed to the greatness of man. But Jesus did not come to the nobility, to the elite, to the excellent. Instead, he comes to the messy ones, the broken ones. We have the same great God who has a care for the weary and the weak. Yes, Father, he says, because it was for your good pleasure. Now, Jesus then kind of actually lifts himself up to the same greatness of God. He says, all things have been entrusted to me by the Father. Not one of us can say anything close to that. Jesus says, all things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Here is this kind of picture of intimacy. If you want to know what God is like, Jesus is saying, I know him intimately and perfectly. And no one knows me. He's Jesus, misunderstood, right? Uh, But uh, the only one that knows Jesus fully is the Father. 
and anyone who uh, the Son reveals him to. Now, all that being said, Jesus then says this invitation, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Look what 29 doesn't say. I will take them all off you. (laughs) I will make sure you're not carrying anything from here onwards. That's not what verse 29 says. What does it say instead? Take up my yoke. Jesus, I don't want any (laughs) more. I don't want to have to carry anymore. A yoke yoke is this kind of picture of of either kind of a person carrying kind of like a wooden bar that kind of lifts, you know, is able to, you know, help you lift things or or you put it on like an ox or or a working horse and and they will kind of pull along uh, any number of things. This this yoke, why is Jesus saying to the weary and the weak, take my yoke? He wants us to, to learn from him. Because I am lowly and humble in heart. The kind of rest that Jesus offers is is actually a way of relearning how the world works, who you are, what your purpose is. And he's offering to bring us into the intimacy of relationship that he has between the Father and the Son. Uh, Cole spoke on this last week, on on relationship and and restoration and reconciliation. Jesus is saying, I want you to relearn. I want you to be a disciple of mine. And that is actually going to put something on you. But it is far better than everything else you have put on yourself. It is far better than what the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, are putting on you great burdens as though you could achieve righteousness, being right with God by obeying and dutifully going through all of the law. That is impossible. We cannot stand before God righteous on our own merits by achieving the law. Jesus wants us to unlearn that so that we might take up His yoke and learn from Him Because I am lowly and humble in heart. Do you want to see into the very heart of God? Into the very character of who Jesus is? This is one of the only verses in the Gospels that speaks so intimately about Jesus' own heart. He says, I want you to take this yoke. I want you to learn from him because I see you. Because I care for you. Because I am lowly and humble in heart. Next, um, next week, we're going to have a crack at launching our new TAC library. And one of the books in that will be this one, Gentle and Lowly uh, by Dane Ortberg. Uh, put it in your hand if you've, uh, if you've come across it or read it. A few of us have come across it. It's a fantastic book. The, the, the very title of this book comes from the words we just read. Let me just read a quote from it, uh, as, as Dane quotes uh, Jonathan Edwards as well, actually. But he says this, Any possible loveliness is in Jesus because he is the holiest, meekest, most humble, and every way the most excellent man that ever was. This language of Christ's meekness and humility are the very way Christ describes his own heart in Matthew 11. In other words, it is Christ's gentle heart that adorns him with beauty. Or put the other way, 
What most deeply attracts us to Christ is His gentle, tender, humble heart. When sinners and sufferers come to Christ, the person that they find is exceedingly excellent and lovely. For they come to one who is not only of excellent majesty and of perfect purity and brightness, but also one in whom this majesty is joined with the sweetest grace, one that clothes himself with mildness and meekness and love. When we put together these words of Jesus, that that he has been entrusted all things, we get a picture of the greatness of God. You know what, I think of some of the great people I've met in my life. I think one of kind of one lecturer uh, when I was studying aeronautics, one of the smartest guy I ever met. But every time I encountered this guy, I felt just absolutely like dumb and kind of made to feel that way. You know, you know the kind of, when you approach greatness, we feel absolutely unworthy. But here, Dane is making the case here, as we see so clearly in Matthew 11, that when we approach the majesty of Jesus, even as sinners and sufferers who deserve not to enter into Jesus' presence... We find meekness, we find humility, we find grace. Jesus is making himself known, not to the self-made man, but the restless, to the little children, to the curious ones, to the ones who exercise simple dependence, to the messy, broken, and sinful. He says, take up my yoke, learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest, but not just any kind of rest, rest for your souls. That kind of, that deep rest at the bottom of our life, the one, the, the kind of, the way that we build our life upon, the most inward part of ourselves, that part which is often most fragmented, that bit that we're trying to hold together with all kinds of busyness, achievements, uh, notes of self-worth, and oh, we are so good at that. Jesus sees it, and He comes to you in His gentleness, in His lowliness, in His majesty, and He says, stop, relearn from Me, let Me offer you Real rest for your soul. We've maybe got out of the habit of using the word soul. Um, here's another book uh, that I'll reference here, John Ortberg. Uh, it's called Soul Keeping. And, and here he just has this simple little definition of the soul. The soul is that dimension of the person that interrelates all other dimensions so that they form one life. The soul is the most basic level of life in the individual and the one that is by nature rooted in God. That makes sense if we are created by God and for God, uh, that, that we ought to lay our whole self before God and find in Him a way to kind of pull ourselves back together, but not even pull ourselves, but actually let Jesus give us rest and reform us, reteach us to reintegrate us, because sin in our life does a work of disintegration. And we know that intimately, but we hide it frequently. If we are going to let Jesus guide us into rest, then we need to trust Him 
And that's why it's so beautiful and critical that we see Jesus as humble and lowly and beautiful and tender and caring, as well as all-powerful. Jesus brings us into this upside-down kingdom, not one that is built on kind of improving yourself or attaining righteousness through the law, but instead, one that is grounded in the God that became flesh to serve us, to give to us the sweetness of His grace. And for a busy mind and a busy heart, Jesus is offering you rest. It is a beautiful thing because we need saving. (laughs) In our busyness, so often we're trying to find some kind of satisfaction. And the paradox of the soul is that it it needs satisfaction and we know what it's like to live without satisfaction at the centre, but by itself is incapable of producing any said satisfaction. And we have got comfortable with living in that paradox. But friends, it's like we are rearranging the deck chairs and renovating the wallpaper of the Titanic. It looks good for a little while, but in the end, it's going down. And there is Jesus entering into the mess, saying, stop it. I want to show you a different way. I want to give you rest. You will not find satisfaction in the relentless pursuit of the next thing, as though salvation was mere progress. You will not find satisfaction in living your best life as though salvation was 80 good years. You will not find satisfaction in religious duty, for that is what the religious leaders of Jesus' day lived for and offered. They put a heavy burden on people and didn't lift a finger for anyone. That's Matthew 23. Soul rest the integration of your life, the reintegration of your life and reconciliation with God, the peace that He offers, the new life He's inviting you to live out with Him is only found in Jesus and He offers it to those who are weak, weary and heavy burdened. He says here, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Really, Jesus? (laughs) Do you know what Jesus' mission is? Like the salvation of the world. And do and you know the way He's going to get there? The cross. He's going to die for our sins. Jesus knows this. How on earth does He talk about His yoke being easy and light? Well, He speaks out of the intimacy He enjoys with the Father that He has just spoken about in the verses above. He speaks out of the satisfaction of doing the will of the Father, of being loved and loving. Not righteousness by the law, the duty of religion, but He is Jesus inviting us into the yoke of listening and learning from Jesus and to be so joined into that intimacy He has with the Father. Friends, this is rest of rest. (laughs) But look at the way Jesus offers this. He, He talks about, He just says, I will give it to you. How do we get it? Just ask, just come to me weary and honest and earnest and ask for it and I'll give it to you. 
Uh, Christians uh, use, for good reason, the word grace to describe the way God just gifts to us salvation, peace, new life, forgiveness. Uh, as you might have learned, if you did kind of go to a Sunday school or something to that effect, uh, there's a bit of an acronym that goes along with this, God's riches at Christ's expense. That is, we are gifted God's riches, new life in Him, forgiveness, the Holy Spirit. We are gifted those things at Christ's expense because Christ dies for us. But what I've appreciated more and more, that not only is grace kind of like uh, God's sort of uh, favour towards us, His, His love for us, but there is real, there is real power in grace, life-transforming power. You remember last year we looked at uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, and Paul says stuff like this in 2 Corinthians, God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Uh, the, the grace that God gives us powers us to do every good work. And Jesus also says, oh, sorry, Paul also says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. This is, this is God's presence in us. The fullness of grace is revealed to us as the Holy Spirit fills us and drives us. And all of this is given to us by grace as a gift. By way of contrast, I met a Hindu man a number of years ago. I think I've shared this story with a couple of you. Uh, and he, um, he came to an Alpha course that we were running in Newtown. Uh, he had terminal cancer, uh, and he, he came to us, uh, and he actually came a long way to, to, come, to, to come to this, uh, because he'd heard that Jesus offered some kind of way to salvation that was very different to that which he knew. He was really looking for some sense of assurance in his life, an assurance that, that Hinduism just could not offer him, despite the diversity of ways that you could seek uh, the various gods in Hinduism. Uh, this is a kind of a quote from uh, the Bhagavad Gita, the, uh, the uh, kind of the holy scriptures of, of Hinduism. Uh, o best amongst men, the person who is not disturbed by happiness and distress and is steady in both is certainly eligible for liberation. Uh, the Hindu scriptures talk about this liberation kind of a, when the soul reaches uh, moksha. Do you remember, um, we, for those that attended the Hindu outreach workshop uh, in last year, uh, Clive, who ran it, was talking about moksha, uh, how the soul reaches this state, this divine release from the endless cycles of reincarnation. And the only way to get there is by living a righteous and pious life. And even then, all that's offered is you are eligible for liberation. And so from this kind of worldview, uh, this man came to us saying, I know I'm about to die. I, I, I need to know what's next. I, I need to know uh, a peace that I don't have. Now, he actually died uh, halfway through the course. Uh, and and I, I don't know where he stands, but I tell you what, I, I'm confident because there was a moment in the course where we were talking about the gift that Jesus offers and he was so happy, so happy he was in tears. And my hope is that he found Jesus, he found the rest that was offered to the weary, and God knows he was weary. Will we find that? 
We don't want to be asking those questions just in our deathbed. We want to be finding that which Jesus offers us now. But has it been easy and light for me to kind of travel this journey? Well, in some ways, yes. In some ways, there is a simplicity to knowing Jesus that provides bedrock, this confidence, this assurance of of being with God, that that there is nothing that can separate us from Jesus. But also, no. (laughs) And many of us will testify to the twists and turns of the Christian life. There are two reasons in my life that I'll touch on uh, in the next sort of five minutes as to what's made it difficult for me. They are sin and suffering. And I'm going to use uh, Philippians 3 to unpack uh, kind of what happened in my life and, and what Paul speaks to in his own life as he learns to take up the yoke of Jesus. Now, when I was a pastor, I first started as a pastor... I took all my enthusiasm and energy and applied it to ministry. Uh, Needless to say, you could probably work out what happened. Uh, Not only was I overseeing a large youth group, uh, a night church, small groups, welcoming, I was also chairing a not-for-profit board that was going through uh, a significant strategic renewal process. We were looking for a CEO. I had two young kids and I was energized by it all. I distinctly remember a time meeting with a respected businessman and leader and he really backed me. It was greatly encouraging, but in my immaturity, it was the source of also much pride. A pride that did not seek soul rest. A pride that blinded me to the implications of my drive uh, on those around me. There was Jesus offering me rest for my soul, that he would teach me a better way. But it's like while he walked alongside me saying, oh Mike, I was saying to him, Jesus, I got this. And I'm doing it for you, I'm helping you. (laughs) One of the greatest dangers in Christian ministry is this idea that we would help Jesus and burn ourselves out for it. Pride as the root of much sin says to God, I don't need you, I can do this. And this sin disintegrates us under God. It undoes the rest that Jesus is offering us. The second passage from this Philippians 3 puts this in stark contrast because Paul talks about the confidence, the pride that he had in who he was before Jesus. He says, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, that's kind of a way of describing life from a worldly perspective, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, a right regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. It's fascinating to think that Paul would take pride in some of these things that, you know, he, he had nothing to do with, right? He, wasn't, he didn't circumcise himself on the eighth day. Uh, he, was, he didn't decide that he would be born of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. But yet, in the latter part of his life, he would pride himself in the way that he would persecute the church as though that was God's will. Uh, he would describe his righteousness as blameless. Could anyone do that? Well, Paul legitimately backs himself as being that good. And here is a picture of kind of the way that we often live our life that is kind of 
you know, priding ourselves in some kind of righteousness. Now, we might not use that religious language of righteous, but, but there is Paul kind of uh, priding himself, uh, not in some kind of escaping of failure, though he would never be such a failure. Instead, he's just talking up himself more and more and more, boasting in who he is or who he was. Friends, what kind of failure are you trying to escape What kind of self-righteousness are you boasting in? Not only does such a life not lead to rest, but it will ultimately undo you. This is how then Paul contrasts it. But everything that was a gain to me, everything he just boasted in prior to Jesus, I have considered a loss because of Christ. Why? Because he's found the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When you come to Jesus as weary and heavy burdened, heavy laden, and you take up his rest, when you relearn under him, when you come to know him, everything else is, Paul says, dung. (laughs) It's crap. And he considers all those things a loss so that he might gain Jesus. Friends, there is nothing in this world that can put you in right standing before God, that can give you the peace and rest that Jesus is offering other than Jesus himself. To practice this required a great effort, I might add, in my life. And the way that... Um, we got there, or the way, the way that kind of, uh, the way that Jesus was re-teaching me, that I was relearning, rest in Him, uh, was something that uh, is well described by um, Paul Miller in his book, The J-Curve. Uh, and in, in that book, he describes that, you know, while every other effort is about sort of escaping failure, boasting in yourself, the first thing we ought to do as Christians is die to self. That that is, instead of trying to lift yourself up, actually go down. Actually come to Jesus fully open as to who you are, raw and real, and actually open up the weariness and the burdens that we are carrying. And as we die to self, what we find is Christ who died for us, and He lifts us up as he was lifted from the cross. We are trusting in the same God who lifted Jesus from the dead. And that's why Paul is able to say that somehow we might reach the resurrection from among the dead. Now, I'll come back to that somehow in a moment, because there is assurance for anyone who trusts in Jesus, anyone who asks for his forgiveness, anyone who comes real and says, I am sinful and broken and weak and weary, I need your rest, I need your forgiveness, anyone who comes to Jesus like that, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, can find new life, resurrection, assurance, salvation. To put this into practice in my life required a great reset, a repentance for neglecting my key relationships with God, my family, to repent of my pride and to rediscover the humility of my Saviour, to hold loosely to whatever gains would come my way and to lay down my ambitions before God and seek His will first. 
I wonder if we might think about these things as we start the new year. How might we seek Him above ourself? The second reason that I found it very hard to, at times, take up Jesus' yoke was that simple, universal, human thing of suffering. Let me just share one more moment from my life that reshaped me, or that God used to reshape me and my wife, actually. When we were here many years ago, uh, coming on sort of 12 years ago, uh, we were surrounded by lots of great people. Uh, many, many were having kids, many uh, young couples having kids, and we found ourselves in an extended season of infertility. Uh, infertility is a silent struggle, and for a while we sort of just rode through it, uh, as though, you know, it, it would be okay in the end. You know, children are a blessing from the Lord and, you know, He will provide. But in time, it didn't seem like God was going to provide. And Kel was very keen to be a mum for a long time and we'd so ordered our life that we dared to go on this sort of mission trip and come back and just settle down and have kids. <laughs> and that didn't work out so well. And over time, that sort of disappointment turned into a deep bitterness that entered our life. And any thorn in the flesh will do this by default, will it not? Anything that we're carrying that is painful and hard tends to shape us and shape us negatively. This was a season of deep, deep restlessness. Now, to cut a long story short, it was while we were down in Melbourne, seeking a kind of break from it all, an escape, uh, a reset, that we heard a sermon that challenged us deeply. God spoke to us that we'd made a good thing a God thing, that we'd so built our lives around, you know, finding satisfaction in having kids, even though they're a good thing. We had slowly built our lives around this and, in a sense, worshipping that. And God was calling us back to Himself, that we would find God's grace as sufficient, that we would find the simplicity of knowing Jesus enough and he called us to repentance. It's the same J-curve, coming to Jesus raw and real, and dying to self, and trusting that He will, in His tenderness, in His humility, in His power, and by His grace, actually lift us up. Paul describes in the back end of Philippians 3, as the goal of his life is to know him more and the power of his resurrection. And notice what he says there, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Here is a gospel story that includes our sufferings. When Jesus offers us rest, he doesn't say, I'm going to take all the sufferings away from you. He says, I'm going to reteach you not only how to understand sufferings in this world because of the sinfulness of man, but also that in those sufferings, you are participating in the way Jesus lived His life, the way He left the glories of heaven to come down into this world to seek and save the lost. And for that, He suffered greatly. And as we participate with Jesus in the sufferings of this life, we depend, or are called to depend on Him more. We are called to know Him more. And being conformed to His death, Paul says, we are being made more like Jesus every day. 
That is a hard lesson to learn and one that I don't think I can just share with you from the front in sort of a couple of words. Some of us have traveled this road already. Some of us are traveling this road, friends. We need people walking alongside us. We need Jesus walking alongside us as he is offering those sweet words, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Friends, as you look at every other story this world offers, it is not nearly as robust as to include all of the complexity of our life, the realness of life. I just found this website so easily, spiritualityandhealth.com. What is the secret to happiness? How do you find rest in this worldview? Well, you create stillness, you create a sacred living space, you know, make sure you position your furniture correctly, you self and sacred care. Like, these are good things, but they're just not enough. They don't speak into the reality of our life. And every other religion will speak into a reality of life, a grittiness, but offer a way out as righteousness that you need to work towards so to somehow attain the righteousness of God. But here we have in Philippians that we have received the righteousness from God by faith. That we might receive the offer of grace by faith. Friends, the reason I am a Christian is because I have accepted the invitation to the restless, to the weary, and I have received rest by grace. I have received Jesus by grace. My prayer is that that will be true of us and for many more as we hold the same grace out to others. Let me pray. Father, with the psalmist I say, who are we that you would be mindful of us? For you are so great and we are so weak. And yet by your grace, Jesus came among us and spoke those tender words to us. Us who are weary and heavy laden. He gives us rest. May we never depart from that rest until we see him face to face, embraced and made whole. We thank you, Father, for new life in him now and forever. Amen.